the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Simple question, is it worth it to follow Jesus? We'll talk about that next, here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us. It's been said that it will cost everything to follow Christ, but in the end, we will have found it to be cheap enough. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Here in Luke 18, we catch up with a rich young ruler. He's got everything, and he's told if he loses it all, he'll find Christ and eternity. The same question and same challenge is posed to you and I today. Join us. Is it really worth it to follow Jesus? The answer to that, here's Pastor Gary Wagner on today's edition of Abounding Grace. Here in our text, the apostles are wondering about what Jesus said to the rich young ruler that we looked at last Sunday, who refused to give up everything to follow Christ. And the reason they are wondering about the incident is because they had given up everything to follow Christ. In Luke 5, 10 and 11, Jesus said to the apostles, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catchers of men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. The apostles had given up everything to follow Christ. They did what Jesus said in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. They had done all of this sincerely. They knew that the rich young ruler would lose his life and everything else because he tried to save his life. And now they were wondering about the consequences of losing their lives for Christ and for their service to the gospel. So Peter, as always, taking the lead, asked the question, what are the consequences of us giving up everything to follow you, Jesus? So Jesus, as usual, takes advantage of this question to deal with two very important issues. In our text, he describes for them, again, the nature of the life of discipleship. And then secondly, he makes a prophecy about his own death and resurrection. So notice now in verses 28 through 30 of Luke 18, a description of life for those who are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And through it, we see two things about that life. It is a life of promise, and it is a life of persecution. These are rich promises. 
that he says will come to fruition in their lives now and throughout all eternity. But there are a lot of things that they will have to give up if they are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So in describing the life of discipleship, he says there are two sides. It is a life of promise and a life of persecution. So let's look at life, the life of promise in verse 29 of Luke 18. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. So now there are two aspects to the promise. There is the life of promise as it applies now in this life, before death and before the second coming of Christ. And then the life of discipleship is a life of promise after death and after the second coming of Christ in eternity. He says, first of all, the life of discipleship is a life of promise with reference to the present life. And his point is that everything the disciples lose in one society for the sake of Christ will be regained a hundredfold in a new society recreated by the power of the gospel. Because God takes nothing away from a person without restoring it to him in a new and glorious form. And by the way, he had already talked about the new family. He said... You're going to have to give up husbands and wives and mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. But if you do that, you will get a greater and more glorious family. He talked about that in Mark 3, verses 32 through 35, when he said, And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Who is my mother or my brother's? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him, that is, his disciples, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. So he is saying there is a greater family than even that which is connected by blood. As important as blood kinship is, there is a greater more preeminent, prominent, more central family, and that is the family of the Lord Jesus Christ that is linked together by their common obedience to the Word of God and to the will of God. So he says, if you have to give up your families and properties in this life, there is even a greater family that you will inherit, it, inherit and there is even greater property. What is that? The whole earth the new heavens and the new earth, as well as new power and new relationships that you never had before you became a Christian. And notice in verse 30, he says, many times as much. Whatever you have to lose in your service to me will be received, it says in Mark, a hundredfold. Here he says, you'll get back many times more than what you lost. Listen to the words of Bishop Ryle. The believer shall find in Christ a full equivalent for anything he is obliged to give up for Christ's sake. 
The Lord Jesus Christ shall be more to him than property or relatives or friends. Let us grasp this promise firmly. Let us go forward in the way of life with a firm conviction that is a promise which is the property of all God's people. Let us not give way to doubts and fears because of difficulties that cross our path. Let us pass on with a strong persuasion that if we lose anything for Christ's sake, Christ will make it up to us even in this present world. Whatever you lose for Christ because of your stand for Him in the gospel, you will receive many times more in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Now, did you notice something about these blessings? They speak of objective blessings in history before death and before the second coming of Jesus. He said, if you have to give up houses and family and farms, then you will receive houses and families and farms. He's talking about natural, literal, down-to-earth, physical blessings that God will reward His people within the Lord Jesus Christ. People who are faithful to Him. Now, there are spiritual blessings, and there are physical blessings. The blessings that God promises people are comprehensive. They cover the entirety of life. Do not make the mistake of some commentators who say that the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament is that the Old Testament promised natural blessings, or physical, while the New Testament promises spiritual blessings. That is not true, beloved. Both Testaments promise comprehensive blessings, both material and spiritual. And here are some of those physical blessings. Jesus doesn't say, if you have to give up houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and farms for my sake, I'll give you peace and joy and calmness of spirit and hope, etc. Now, He does, of course, do that. But the focus of the promise is not spiritual and subjective things. It is concrete, objective things pointing out that Christianity has benefits for this life as well as the life to come. Notice what it says in Luke 18.30. Who shall receive many times as much at this time? Mark 10.30 says, but that he may receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. And again it says that there are houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children and farms. So Christianity deals with this life and brings blessings to this life for a very good reason. Our Redeemer is also the Creator. And His goal is to purge from His creation all of the effects and pollution of sin and restore it to God's people. So that God's people can enjoy its resources and its pleasures and its energies throughout all eternity. Remember, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit joy, peace, long-suffering. That is true. But it really says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So Christianity benefits this life as well as the life to come. So that where Christ's disciples are faithful to his law, he blesses them in all areas of life. 
Paul reflects on Jesus' teaching in Timoth, 1 Timothy 4.8 when he says, Godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. What other things? The things he has been talking about. Food, clothing, land, families, all the material blessings that we need to honor him in this life. And these promises of the Lord Jesus Christ that are objective and concrete and physical and material are rooted in the magnificent declaration of blessings and curses promised to the covenant people of God found in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you will, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. 28, I'm sorry. It is important to understand this chapter Because Jesus came to earth to administer all the promises and curses of Deuteronomy 28 and the parallel passage in Leviticus 26. And I want you to notice the rich blessings that await all the people of God. Deuteronomy 28, beginning in verse 1. Now it shall come to pass... If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be in the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall you be, shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come, uh, against, come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord God will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and keep and walk in his ways. Then all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You which I command, the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful, careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. You see, that is a magnificent declaration of blessings. Material, spiritual, life with comprehensive blessings that cover the entirety of your life. Well, some of you might be out there saying, yeah, but 
that comes out of the Old Testament. Well, I know very well that's the Old Testament. But did you notice to whom it is addressed in the Old Testament? Those who are called of God. Is there anyone in here who's called of God? I hope so. What is the Greek word for church? It is ekklesia, which is made up of two words, ek, out of, and klesia, called. The called out ones, those who are called out of the world to be God's own people, the church. Deuteronomy 28 applies to you and me, brothers and sisters, just as it did to Israel many years ago when it was written. This is the basis of the rich promise that Jesus Christ makes to his disciples, saying, You live all of your life in terms of my promise. If you lose anything for my sake, you will have it more abundantly applied to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being saved by grace and made Christ's disciples doesn't take us out of the world. We live in this world to the end. We use the resources of this world in order to witness to and to win people to Christ, to win over the lost world. So here you see this tremendous promise. Now, these promises of Jesus in Luke 18, Mark 10, and Matthew 19 are the basis of, one, of one's faith in the upward progress of history. In other words, this is one of the basic reasons for us to believe in the victory orientation of the kingdom of God in the future. If God blesses His faithful people with not only spiritual but material, earthly, physical resources down through their generations, then the more faithful they are, the more blessings they receive, a hundredfold there, a hundredfold over here. And you have a basis of using all these resources for the victory over all the nations of the world and to build on this planet another Christendom and to win this nation to the Lord Jesus Christ. These promises are a basis for victory, not the defeat of the church. Turn with me to Matthew nineteen twenty-seven and 28. Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you have, who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Be thinking about that. Try to figure out what that means. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. But many who are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So now the first thing to understand, don't read what you think it means back into the text. Let the text explain what it means itself. First of all, it's a parallel text to Mark 10 and Luke 18. They are talking about the same thing, just with slightly different words. 
And it is talking about what God's people shall receive in this life and in eternity as a result of their leaving their family and their property for the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is talking about life here and now. Keep that in mind. Now it says there is a regeneration coming. The regeneration. And you say, oh, well, that means, of course, it's talking about the second coming. The second coming of Christ is the regeneration of the world. Really? Well, now, think about this for a minute. You've got regeneration and you've got consummation. Are they synonymous? No. Consummation is the perfecting of what started in regeneration. Are you perfected in Christ? No, you have to wait until the second coming. But you are regenerated, right? That is the beginning of the Christian life, not the end. Regeneration, beloved, is not the goal. It is not what we're looking forward to at the end of life and at the end of history. It is what puts us on the path toward perfection and consummation. Regeneration is the beginning of our lives as Christians. Now you are regenerated. Are you perfect? No. So you can be be regenerated and transformed by the power of God's grace and still have flaws. Regeneration is the beginning. So Jesus is saying, in the regeneration, when I begin to make everything new. There's an interesting verse, by the way, in Isaiah 65, 17 that says, For behold, the Lord speaks... For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered. You say, oh, well, yeah, that talks about the second coming for sure, when God will create the heavens and the earth. Well, again, hold on a minute. If you read on in Isaiah 65, 18 through 21, you will see that in this new heaven and new earth that he's talking about, people die. If someone dies at 100 years of age, everyone else mourns because he died so young. But people do die. Not only that, but if you notice in this new heavens and new earth, people are having babies. Well, you don't have babies in heaven. And you don't die at any age in heaven. So the point is... This new heavens and this new earth, this regeneration, beloved, has already begun. It began back when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and began a new day for the history of the world. He began the transformation of the heavens and the earth. They are embryonically here right now. But they are here. The regeneration has begun, and it's growing and growing as the kingdom of God advances in the world, and as the mustard seed grows into the largest tree in the garden, and the yeast that leavens the whole loaf. Until someday, when Jesus comes, 
the whole process that began 2,000 years ago is perfected and consummated. Now, is there anything in the text that would help us believe that what we have just said or what I've just said is the right interpretation? I think so. It says, when is this regeneration going to take place? In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Now, when does the Son of Man, that is Jesus' favorite designation of himself, did you realize that? When does the Son of Man take his glorious throne at the right hand of God? At the end of the world? No. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Run the race of life faithfully, fixing your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ took his glorious throne when Christ raised him from the dead, and he ascended to the Father's right hand. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. <music>